I did not. I don't know if I asked you this. Did you get Pokemon Go or Pokemon no. Let's Go? No. New Pokemon Go? no. No. I decided no. to uh, to skip that one to let it go. <laughs> <laughs> I see what you did there. Uh, did you see on the uh, What on Politics Instagram that I was playing it? I think I did, but I completely forget what you said and what was funny and or important about it. So why don't you remind me, Richie? <laughs> why don't I do just that? Uh, you know, so it's the it's the same old Pokemon games as every other Pokemon game. And it, you know, at the start of it, Professor Oak chats to you and then he has a temporary amnesia and forgets the name of his grandson. Yes. Who's your, who's your rival? I mean, early onset dementia right there. It's, it's actually really tragic. It is. It's really sad. I mean, he imagines all these little animals and stuff and he just he just gives the kids their own wild animals and sends them off on adventures into the world. Like, they're 10 years they're old. They're 10 years go. old. And he's just like, go off and leave your home and travel across and come across gangsters and go to gyms and all these things. Yeah, there's, literal, there's literal terrorists in that franchise Team Rocket are a terrorist organization I thought they were a criminal organization no they're definitely terrorists why? <laughs> they use fear to to forward to, to push their agenda forward what's their agenda? I thought their agenda is just making money no their agenda is to capture all the Pokemon in the world and turn them to their will like their their belief is that all the Pokemon belong to them uh, I, I thought that they only introduced the whole terrorism thing later on as the as the series uh, grew during up the gritty, during the gritty reboot yeah 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 when they got um, Bruce Willis to come in and Play, play Pikachu. Play Pikachu. <laughs> Pika P. Pika Kaye, motherfucker. It was much better than when they got Chris Rock to play Pikachu, I must say that. <laughs> that was true. It's been through so many reboots. But anyway, when I was playing the game, this is the thing I put on Instagram, was that uh, you're allowed to pick the name of your rival during Professor Oak's Amnesia. And I picked the name Trump because I thought it would be great motivation to uh, constantly get to battle against this guy. But they fucking changed, they flipped the script on the game. And one of the few changes they made is to make your rival, quote unquote, at the start, like your best friend. And he's the guy who goes around and helps you doing shit. And he's so, tr- so I have now in the game, Trump's always come, coming up talking about how good of a team we are. And he's helped me take down Team Rocket. And it's really making me hate the game. Yeah, Jesus. That's like, um, they brought that in in the later games again. They were like trying to teach kids about friendship and stuff. But man, it was great to be a dick to Gary and have Gary be a dick to you. And now this. Yeah, exactly. I kind of wish it was more like Red Dead Redemption where he had fluid morality dynamics and you could kind of just shoot him or something. It's funny because Kate started playing the game as well and she did the same thing where she wanted to name her rival something bad so she named her... So she called it Richie. She she called it racism. (laughs) So now racism is her best friend in the game. (laughs) Kate is achieving her goals and ends through racism. Uh, Also, just on a slight tangent to that, uh, I went down with another Pokemon rabbit hole. Do you know about a guy called Herman Cain? No. So he was a, a Georgia-based politician. He rose to prominence during the race for the Republican presidential nominee back in 2012. And during a Republican primary debate, he said, and I quote, <clears throat> A poet once said, life could be a challenge. Life can seem impossible, but it's never easy when there's so much on the line. Now, this wasn't like a line from Yeats or Dickinson or like Wordsworth or anything. This was a line lifted directly from the Pokemon movie. <laughs> Was it said by a poet in the Pokemon movie? No, was it like, it's, from the, it's from the theme song, The Power of One by Donna Summer. You know way too much about Pokemon. Can you hear that? Yes. Yeah, so this is the song he's quoting. Life can be a challenge. <laughs> Life can seem impossible. It's never <laughs> this is what he was quoting. And someone called him on it. 
And uh, so later when he had to drop out of the um, the race due to sexual misconduct allegations. Jesus. And he, was, and he was given a speech in Atlanta. He made the exact same quote again, but this time he actually credited it to the Pokemon movie. Oh man, Richie, I'm so sorry that someone's stolen your platform already of campaigning entirely based on the morals you learned in Pokemon. <laughs> no, he's actually blazed a trail for me because if I ever go to campaign, all I have to do is stand up at the podium and say, a famous poet once said, I want to be the very best like no one ever was. <laughs> Oh my he has god. Horrible, I looked at it, he has horrible policies, but I can really get behind his use of Pokemon in political campaigns. And obviously you're not disturbed about his sexual uh, misappropriation either. You're totally behind that too? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> nice try, Steve. <laughs> Nearly got you. Not this time. <laughs> Apparently, it's my turn to introduce what I'm politics. Yeah, what what is this whole thing about? What are we doing here, Richie? What are we doing here? Okay, so what I'm politics? Name of the show. I'm Richie. He's Steve. Part of the proud part of the Head Stuff Podcast Network. Uh, this show it's it's a political splainer show, kind of like an intro. It's kind of like uh, Steve is my Mr. Miyago, Mr. Mi- Mr. Miyagi. Sorry, not Mr. Miyago. It's like Mr. Magoo and Mr. Miyagi put together. <laughs> that 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 suits me pretty well. That's you, kind of in a nutshell. Mr. Miyago is from the Irish remake of the Karate Kid called The Karate Lad. <laughs> and instead of, instead of like, it's like, polish on, polish off. <laughs> and instead of catching flies with uh, with um, chopsticks, you're just like skewering bees with a fork. And it's like to teach you patience and meditation. You have to wait for the Guinness to settle before you can drink it. <laughs> no, you are failing the test again, son. Never drink from the pint before it settles. Uh, what was he doing? Oh yeah, so, so Steve, Steve's that guy, and he teaches me about politics, and I try my absolute darndest to keep up with them. And that's it. That's pretty much it. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Yep. Like I said, proud, proud part of the Head Stuff Podcast Network, Irish Irish owned farm to fork organic podcast entirely. Yeah, and so what we usually do is every episode we pick a topic and we we give like a splainer to it. Sometimes we have guests. Sometimes it's just us two. Um, but before we do that, we always chat about the news and what's going on. Yeah, but just in case you're scared because it's called Wadham Central Banks, you will have noticed that it's about 10 minutes in and that's the first time we, that we've mentioned it. So don't worry. Look, if you don't know that much about politics, you're in very good hands. Yeah, and in very good company. Polish on. <laughs> okay, so what's, the first, what's the first news story? Yeah, I'll go with the first one. Um, France is having a whole bunch of protests. It's the third weekend in a row. Mm-hmm. Over what? Over what? Um, well, they're calling it the Yellow Vest protest, and it's mainly started off being against extra taxes on car fuel and like vehicle fuel that uh, Macron wanted to bring in mm-hmm. because he says it's a combination of needing to raise more revenue for the government and also to try and get people to stop burning as much fossil fuels. Right. But the French are like, fuck you, Mr. Macron. And the French public are pretty famous for being pretty vocal and disruptive when it comes to protesting. Um, they, they love a good protest. Oh, they do. I remember there was a great one back in the 90s or 2000s when the farmers were annoyed at the prices they were getting for beef. Mm-hmm. So one dude took his big tractor and drove it in through a McDonald's. Wait, drove it, it like drove it through the drive through No, like in the front door. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, it wouldn't be that much. Like, I'm, I'm just after pointing out that the French public are pretty raucous about the protesting and driving a tractor gently through the drive-thru, maybe knocking the barrier yeah. a little bit. That's not that much of a disruption. But yeah, no, he drove no. it through the front of the building 
and then got out and left it there. Oh my god, but Steve, McDonald's is no place for a tractor. That's the whole point. Now you get the French. Oh, now I get Now I see. So... It's escalated. It's not just about fuel anymore. Um, the French public and those getting involved in the protests um, estimated like about three million across the country this weekend. They are just really pissed off about the general cost of living. Right. And they don't think Macron is doing a very good job of fixing that problem. Right. So at the start, Macron was very defiant as he is. He's like, oh, I am the chosen one, the, the super dude. I will ignore them and they will eventually realize that I'm right and they're wrong. Mm-hmm. And even in the first week, like it was pretty bad. They started surrounding cars as part of the protest on roads and someone oh. ended up panicking as that happened and <gasps> ki- killed one of the protesters. No. Yeah, it was pretty, pretty, pretty terrible. Like accident. with their with their vehicle? With their vehicle, yeah. Oh, Jesus. Exactly. Things like that have been happening because the the protests are so raucous and all unspread around the place. Um, but Macron's attempt to placate it by saying that he he will take the criticism into account and maybe take an, a different approach, it hasn't done anything to placate the anger. They're still furious. So today, they pretty much ripped apart Paris and loads of other city centres. There was police clashes, firing tear gas, water cannons, stun grenades, wow. trying to disperse the protesters and something like it'll probably end up being hundreds of people arrested and quite a few people injured. A proper escalation then. Oh yeah, well, this is what the French do. Every couple of years they just have to get it out of their system. (laughs) Stick a couple of of farming vehicles through um, popular fast food franchises and then they'll be fine. (laughs) Especially if it's an unrelated protest. (laughs) Well, the farmer had no idea what was going on. He was just in that mood. I am French, people are annoyed. This is what I must do. (laughs) Uh, Other news story I'm going to do is the G20. Go for it. It's like a little club where the 20 biggest economies get together. So we're talking like the US, the UK, EU countries, Russia, Saudi Arabia, all the fun guys. Yeah. They get together and they have like a big meeting. And because a lot of those countries are kind of pissed off at each other at the moment, this one was looked at quite closely to try and see who is scowling at who and who's not meeting. So just before Trump went over, his former lawyer, I think it's Paul Manafort, he was charged with uh, lying to Congress and about Trump's business dealings in Russia. So Trump all of a sudden cancelled a meeting that he had planned with Putin and is now kind of, they're, they're not buddies anymore. God, it's, it's, it kind of sounds like um, schoolyard politics, doesn't it? It kind of is to a certain extent. And I mean, <laughs> yeah. like these events are kind of largely meaningless, especially at this level. There's probably like mm. agreements going on in the background between the diplomats and civil servants that actually means shit. But these bits where it's all just photo calls and leaders sitting beside each other, beside their flags, that's just for the politicos to wank over and try and figure yeah. out who's the biggest swinging dick. And even um, even just for the general public to kind of know that the big powers are talking to each other, that there's some sort of dialogue, you know, between them, I'm sure is some sort of... It's yeah. Like, but the whole point about this particular G20 is that they're not talking to each other. <laughs> right. That's what we're learning. The only two who are getting along is the Saudi Crown Prince, uh, Mohammed bin uh, Salman, who you'll probably remember is in a lot of trouble because it looks like he ordered the the brutal murder of a US-based yes. uh, reporter in Turkey. So pretty much most of the countries in the world are pissed off with him, except mm-hmm. for one. Putin. And Putin gave him a high, Putin gave him a high five. Yeah, I saw that. They may as well have just like had an elaborate fist bump based handshake from like a fraternity they were both in. Yeah, pretty much. And then just end up chest bumping going, whoa, lads, 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 lads. They don't seem to really give a shit about being the prize. They're still just going to continue selling their petroleum and ruling their countries with iron fists. Mm-hmm. So happy news. What, what do you ha- got? Happy news. Well, following up to some happy news, we got Brexit because that's the oh, kind of train train God. I've been on the past while. Oh, it's so I, gross. I know, I know. I'll keep I'll keep it quick. But a lot has happened since we last spoke about Brexit. Um, are you going to do a newsy on Brexit anytime soon? 
Yes. You think, yeah, because I feel like it's ripe for a newsy episode. Yes, when the, I can get mid- people to all be ready at the same time, then I will get an episode together. Yeah, that's panel discussions for you. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, so a lot, a lot happens since we last talk, talked. Uh, we won't go too deep into it, but I will include some, there's some really good links that BBC put together um, explaining some of the developments. So I'll put those in the show notes for those who do want to read further. But the gist is after months and months and months and months of negotiation between um, the EU and the UK, a deal or a tentative deal is on the table. It's a two-parter. There's a big old like 580 something or 90 something page document that basically outlines the withdrawal. That's nothing. That's like only half a Brandon Sanderson novel. Yes, exactly. Exactly. It's not so bad at all. But outlines stuff like the what the divorce bill is, like what UK will owe the EU for the withdrawal, and it's something like thirty nine billion. You know, something nice and small. Who gets and the kids on which weekend? <laughs> and who gets the dog? The... Did you see uh, Full Arms and Hogs? Uh, no parody video on Brexit. I should check it out. It's quite good. Yeah, those it's guys are, that. Those it's guys the, are great. Yeah, they're brilliant. Uh, Irish uh, three-piece comedy outfit. They do uh, parody sketches and stuff. And they did they did Brexit as a divorce. It's wonderful. <laughs> the North of Ireland is a child. It's great. <laughs> I just imagine like a little four foot tall version of Jerry Adams, just like in in boys' clothes. Yeah, you're not far off. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so in addition to that document, there's also a smaller like twenty uh, six page statement that it's it's not like an official binding thing, but it just outlines what the future relations between the two entities will be. So and this like, is this is the one that's causing the most trouble. It's not the, yes. it's not the five hundred page um, complicated thing. It's this vaguey little. It, it's this pamphlet. This, this, this wish, this wish, this wishy little thingy that people are putting together, just as like a, let's work towards this thing. That's the one that has all the UK politicians shitting themselves. Yeah, and it, it's 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 the all the kind of vagueness and and um, faffing that we've been talking about whenever we talk about Brexit for the past while is kind of embodied in this twenty six page statement that talks to, about small things like trade and security. Yeah. Getting to the bones of it, though, the people that are pro-Brexit are unhappy with this deal because it means that the UK is effectively in the EU but with none of the say over it. Yeah. And they're worried that they're not going to get to do all the amazing fun things that they want to do like, I don't know, build a giant slingshot to get people from Belfast (laughs) to Glasgow really quickly or whatever it was that Boris Johnson was talking about. (laughs) And then the people who are Remainers are unhappy for exactly the same reason but just with different motivations. Yeah, exactly. And it's, it's showing like in real tangible ways within the government. So today... Sam uh, Gima, uh, he's the science universities minister, he resigned and he's mm-hmm. like the 10th member of government to resign over the Brexit agreement. So it's re- it, re- it really is like manifesting itself in very tangible ways when it comes to people involved closest to it. The next step is for... Westminster to oh, vote. Yeah, Westminster. So the cabinet have already agreed on it. That's correct, mm-hmm. isn't it? Yeah. And so at the, it's, it needs to be put to a vote, um, what was it, like the 11th of December? Yeah. Um, to, to, for a vote and I assume there's like debates and stuff that'll happen before then or does it just yeah there will be the hours of debates yeah yeah it's already uh, happened Theresa May has made statements to the house which effectively are any MP gets to stand up and shout a question at her and she has to answer it and in fairness to her she is a tough cookie she has done that for like two occasions for four hours answering every question that was there and that's hell that sounds like absolute hell only a fraction of them were like good questions for her most of right. them were pretty damning yeah absolutely so people expect um, the vote to fail the first time. Mm-hmm. And who knows what's going to happen then? And then, it, and then if it does pass, it, then it goes gets bounced over to European Parliament where they, they'll have to vote for it before. 
not just that, at some point. each of the, the 27 or 20, the, yeah, the 27 member states will also have to ratify it with their own national governments. It's just, it's just, yeah, so there's, there's so still like, a long way to go. The Irish doll will have to pass it. Um, the Belgian whatever imajig and mm. the, the Spanish conquistador running race, whatever it is they used to govern themselves. <laughs> we haven't done an episode on them, but yeah, their government's no, going to have to pass it. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So yeah, there's a long way to go. And in the meantime, pundits are coming out in force to kind of give their take on it, uh, economists especially. And there was an official figures released, uh, you said by, was it the Bank, uh, the BOE? Bank of England. Like, yeah, who are part of the, the UK government. They're the central bank of the United Kingdom, of Great Britain yes, and Northern we Ireland. We will get to that. <laughs> that's, a pretty, uh, that's a pretty important thing for the rest of the time that we're going to be talking together today. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but they reckon that um, with the current, the current setup, the UK economy could stand to dip by 3.9% within 15 years um, compared to if they were to stay in the European Union. And the no-deal Brexit would see a dip of about 9.3%. So, which is insane. Which is like unheard of. It's just crippling, crippling to the economy. Now, but you you see these are all just speculations and the detractors, the, the, the guys who say that it's Project Fear and it's just speculation do have a point because you, no one knows what's going to happen. Mm. But at the same True. time, but at the same time, you, you do yeah. have to look at the data that you do have and do the best yeah. you can with it. And currently, that data is this, and it doesn't look good. So when you, you're going to have to join the the, the roves of refugees fleeing back to Ireland soon, I, I assume so. I'm going to have to find some some ratty cloaks or something to <laughs> drape around me. But yeah, I'll, throw, we'll, we'll throw away your shoes because you have to do it barefoot. Like, <laughs> exactly for the photo op. You you mentioned a central bank there, Steve. I did. Yeah, what am central banks? Before we should tell you about central banks, let's beg them some, for some money. Let's beg the listeners for some money first. Oh, <laughs> that's very appropriate. Yes, exactly. We're talking about central banks. It's all about money. By the yeah. way, folks, we like money too, and we would like you to give us some of yours. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we're in the middle of podcast austerity right now, and so we would very much appreciate it if you could go to uh, whatampolitics.com forward slash beer and um, buy us a pint if you like there. Our Ko-Fi. Ko-Fi, which is like a once-off donation thingy, kind of like Patreon, but you don't have to sign up for a like a repeating donation. It's just a once-off thing. And if you do, there will be more about this later on. We're working on a little something, but if you do it, uh, if you if you do buy us a beer, you will get a bonus episode of our podcast. We'll be doing a little bit more on this. We've got something planned, um, but just just know that you will be rewarded for getting us a beer. We recorded a bonus drunk episode a long time ago. And uh, we're going to use it as a little reward for those people who do choose to donate. So if you do donate, make sure to just leave your email address where you'd like to receive the download link and we will get that right over to you. By the way, if you don't have any money or if you don't feel like giving us your money, which is also fine because ultimately we're we're, we're just happy to have you. We would also like more people to listen to the show. So you can tweet about us, you can rate us, subscribe. And I would think since this is the kind of season of it to happen, when you're at your office Christmas party, you shouldn't mm. just talk about John and how he fixed the stapler and how amazing that was. That was great, though. You should talk about what on politics for 10 minutes straight to all your colleagues, every single one, the CEO, the entire bunch of people that you work with. Yeah. Get drunk, photocopy your arse and write WAP on it. And say, this is for Stephen Ritchie. And don't specify, they'll, they'll which, get it. Don't specify get which cheek is for which. And if they don't get it, explain to them. Yeah, exactly. God, we're going to get so many listeners out of this. This, this is great. So many listeners. Tis the season. So sorry. Uh, so what am central banks? 
Central banks. Yes, let's get back to that. I, I know nothing about this, by the way. Like this is. Yeah, it's kind of it's like one of the most important things in most countries today, but also something that most people don't really want to know about because it has to do with money, which, of course, we all know and know about money because pretty much you have no choice but to have to use it to live. It's an excellent insight. When money gets to like the higher uppy level and it starts to be called finance, then it's almost like fecking Gandalf the Grey talking about all sorts of weird space shit and you're just like, I have no idea what you're talking about, Gandalf. Just put down the fucking weed pipe and have another beer and relax the shit. You're being, all, you're being all facetious there, make, like making it sound like you don't know much about Lord of the Rings. You recently got Lord of the Rings tattoo. I did, and I'm not trying to say <laughs> that I don't know about the Lord of the Rings. I'm using the Lord of the Rings metaphor to compare how people don't know about finance. Right. <laughs> you didn't understand it. God damn it, I'm not good. I gotta smoke more of this weed pipe. <laughs> <laughs> With Space Gandalf. I was also comparing myself to Space Gandalf. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so when it gets to finance, people get kind of glassy-eyed and you kind of just write it off as being for all those wonky dudes who actually know about things like interest rates and inflation and all those bits. Mm. But lo and behold, mm. I hope that after about 30 minutes of me talking a whole load of shite to my friend Richie here, you may have a little bit of knowledge yourself to at least <laughs> bluff your way through half a conversation before you go glassy-eyed. That's the whole point of this podcast. So central banks, all about money, all about finance and it used to be a really cool thing of explaining economics. It used to always have to say political economy before it just became economics. You had to say political economy back in the good old days. And I prefer... When was uh, this? Like before in the 1940s, up until after that, when economic studies became really mathematic-y. Right. It used to be more of a social science, kind of like politics or sociology. But then the the numbers guys took it over and they kind of dropped the political economy part and just stuck to calling it economics. Right. So I want to roll that back, mainly because I'm not good at numbers and I understand the political <laughs> part, but whatever. So yeah. in the political economy, especially how the government kind of interacts with it in countries, it's kind of like a yin and yang of two different pieces of how a government can affect it. There is fiscal policy, which is government spending, taxation, which is kind of like the nuts and bolts of politics. Like we talk Mm -hmm. about that kind of stuff all the time. We were talking Mm -hmm. about it at the start of the episode with Macron's taxes. But then there is also monetary policy, which is often forgotten, but is also really, really important. Mm -hmm. And it's a good bit trickier to understand, but it basically has to do with the kind of mechanics of money and it would explain why a comic book cost five cents in the 40s and 20 bucks today. It's, okay. It's that kind of mechanic. Right. Uh, inflation, is that why? Is that why comic books are so expensive now? Yes. So the main job of a central bank is it's basically the bank for the banks of a country. Mm-hmm. So, Richie, you can't walk... Daddy bank. Uh, pretty mu- Yeah, any bank, because banks are pretty highly... No, I said, I said daddy bank. Daddy bank. I thought you said any bank, yes. <laughs> no, no, mine was... <laughs> Daddy bank, sounds, daddy bank sounds horrible. That's like some sexual connotation oh, there as well. Big daddy bank. Oh, no. Okay. Um, yes, so it's the bank for the banks of a country and you can't just walk up to the central bank and borrow, borrow $30,000 to buy a doom buggy. Right. But the bank of Steve can borrow money from the central bank and then lend it to you to buy your doom buggy. Okay. Does so that make it's, sense? Is it, yeah, so it's a... Is it like a governing authority? It's it is okay, and it just sits on top and helps to regulate. And I assume not just the Bank of Steve, but also the Bank of Alan and the Bank of Stephanie and all of the other banks will sit underneath this central well, if, bank. If those banks 
are registered banks in the economy that that central bank, that the country that that central bank is in charge of, then yeah, they're basically, right. they have that as a fallback, but then they also have to follow by the rules set by the central bank. So okay. like if they decided that giving out loans for doom buggies is an absolutely atrocious way to manage an economic system, they could ban the Bank of Steve from giving you that loan. Okay, and this is part of how they can, can then control the finances of that country. Exactly, but okay. you sh- we'll, get, we'll get into that later, but it's a lot more lazy fare and there's, a, there's much less government intervention compared to other kind of government policies because the whole free market thing has kind of taken over and we find it very hard to push back from that. But we'll so get is, there, it separate, we'll get is it separate from government intentionally, like by design? Yes, entirely. Um, okay. But what, you see, you have to be careful when you talk about the idea of government here. So when we say government, it is separate from the executive governments that like get voted in and make the laws. Right. Or... Yeah, make the laws and like actually do the the guys on the telly that are the leaders of countries. Mm-hmm. That is separate. That is nearly in every country has been separated since around the 90s. It started that they said the central banks have been influenced far too much by politicians trying to twist the system to give themselves more votes at the detriment right. of long-term economics. So they basically detached the two arms of government and let the central bank kind of float off on its own. So while it right. is entirely subservient and any laws passed by the main government do entirely affect the central bank, they try their best to kind of let it go off on its own. It's kind of like the you know the judiciary. We talked about the Supreme yeah. Court a lot and that kind of part. It's got, they, they've tried to set up the economic part as being separate and on its own. Yeah. And it's so worth, it's, a, it's an entity unto itself, but there's definitely connective tissue between yeah, it's it, it, yeah. very close connected tissue. And it's worth mentioning as well that to say that it is safer to let central banks be independent is a particular ideology. And a lot of people would say that that's actually just um, a way of copping out and not helping out people by trying to use the tools that the central bank has to help ordinary people. But we'll okay, get to that. Be, okay, okay, cool. I have um, more questions on that, but yes. Yeah. So when things are going well, most banks are kind of borrowing from each other, passing the money around, lending it out to normal people. And they don't really too much have to rely on the central bank. They do borrow money constantly from the central bank and pay it back. But it's usually easier and cheaper to borrow and lend from each other. Right. So the central that's bank... Just, that's just money moving around. Money moving... Business as usual. In the hundreds of bazillions of gazillions, just flashing right. around the way, the way the international markets work these days. Mm-hmm. But when things start to go bad and banks start to panic and... The Bank of Steve doesn't trust the Bank of Allen and won't give him 100 million that the Bank of Allen desperately needs to continue functioning mm-hmm. to stop the Bank of Allen from just collapsing and nobody getting doom buggies. That's when the central bank has to step in. And right. And this is lending. like we're talking about, like, say, the housing crisis in 2008, these kind of situations. Exactly. That's, that's okay. it precisely. So the Federal Reserve, which is the American central bank, is a good one to point out. Um, it was pretty much founded in 1907 after a pretty big financial crisis where they were just fed, they were sick of these bank runs happening and they said we need to get some sort of a central authority in there to act as a lender of last resort and stop okay. these things from happening. Right. And it has slowly but surely just gained more and more power because the financial crises have not ha- have not stopped, but every time mm. a financial crisis happens, people kind of backtrack and say we need more rules to stop that from happening again and central banks get more and more powerful with more and more regulation. Because they're the ones who can impose those rules. Exactly. They're trusted to to do that. Separate, right. Almost like as a separate branch of government, part of the government. Yeah. So also in most cases, the central banks are responsible for physically printing money, which used to be uh, so important before the whole contactless thing. 
<laughs> but do, you remember, do you remember when, you know, I don't know, like I used to go down to a caravan site in Wexford in Ireland when I was a kid and after dinner mm. we would get 20p to go down to the shop and buy some sweets. Yeah. Like an actual 20p co- coin with a little horse on it, the old, um, yeah. the old Irish punt. These days, I presume after kids wait no fifty p had fifty p had a wait no fifty no you're right twenty p had a did I have a bird I thought twenty p had a horse no fifty p was a stag twenty p was a a pound was a stag oh you're right fuck it's been so long <laughs> I miss I miss that money the point is is that kids they all these had days, pints of Guinness on them <laughs> kids these days don't need to get their coins of pints of Guinness they probably just go um here why transfer me on your app some money and I'll go down and buy some Bitcoin in the local market or whatever, <laughs> whatever it is the kids these, these days Matt, do. Matt, I remember when I was on holidays before and I saved up, all, I was just a kid, I saved up all of my money and like that I had it all in cash and I had no wallet and the very first day on the holiday I went down to like a little theme park amusement centre thing and I got in one of those Star Wars <laughs> things, you know, and you're flying in the next wing and you're shooting down ADATs and stuff and it moved around. It was the best shit ever, like tilted and all that as you were flying around. And I was like, that was the best one ever. And I went off and I went back home. And uh, it turns out that my wallet had fallen out in that X-Wing. Wow. And on the first day I lost all my money. If I had contactless or Bitcoin, that wouldn't have happened. Okay, well then, I guess you're not going to really give a shit about the fact that central banks are responsible for printing the money that you lost. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fuck, I've been hurt by them before. <laughs> um, a notable exception, though, is that in the US, the Department of the Treasury is the one that has the responsibility for printing money. Printing right, and how is that, the, how does that, that's part of the government, but not part of the central bank. In the US, they, yeah, they, they didn't delegate the responsibility of printing money to the central bank, where, right. whereas they did in the UK and in European countries. Right, okay. So the Department, the Department of the Treasury kept it. And as a side note, did you know that the Secret Service main job is in fact actually to do with regulating monetary fraud and stopping it? Really? It's not, the whole protecting the president thing is a sideshow. <laughs> what? The most of their jobs is about trying to catch frauds from copying money and kind of financial stuff like that. I did not know. Those are two very important jobs. They work for the Department of the Treasury, each and every one of them. So they're basically like super accountants who... <laughs> With guns and muscles. <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they kind of just got put in charge of regulating or protecting the president back in the Teddy Roosevelt days when presidents kept on getting shot and it was the only department that had a couple of spare agents lying around. So they oh, were like, man. go protect the president there. And then it turned into the Secret Service that we all know and love. Oh man, if you imagine just like shooting a guy and he's on the ground and there's like blood soaking his, his shirt and like, yeah, you're in the red. And then it just... <laughs> <laughs> holds her gun it's like wow you're the coolest accountant ever <laughs> and then he's yeah he's got the stapler in his other holster <laughs> yeah uh, form 75B sign here <laughs> in blood man these accountants are cool fuck I'm out of red ink man this is this is way more fun than I thought it would be there we go so another big part that the central banks have in, cover, in economies is interest rates. So they basically decide how much it costs to borrow money for everybody. Right. So, so not not the banks themselves, not like the Bank of Steve, but well, the Bank the of Steve bank. does decide how much it, it, it lends. So it'll be like 10% on a personal loan for your doom buggy. But mm-hmm. the Bank of Steve gets its money from the central bank. Right. And because there is more than one bank, it wants to be competitive. So it'll try and keep it as low as it can. But it can't go lower than the cost of borrowing the money in the first instance. Right. So if the if the central bank is charging the banks 3%, then the banks are going to charge like 4 or 5%. Right. So even though the banks themselves are setting their interest rate, 
there's factors that come from the central bank that will dictate that. Precisely. And that, so the central bank do have control over huge. those interest rates, even though they're not directly yes. doing the end, the end interest rate for, say, the doom buggy buyer, whatever. And setting interest rates is one of the most powerful tools that the central banks have to regulate the economy. So, for example... Right, because I assume if the, if the interest rates are nice and low... I might buy two doom buggies exactly, of, exactly, yeah, okay. and it'll try and heat up the economy when times are going bad. Mm-hmm. But then, if it thinks that the economy is starting to overheat, it'll increase it so that it'll be, become more expensive to borrow, and you're you're less inclined to buy that doom buggy that you don't really need, and overheat the economy. Oh, uh, so like in the housing crisis when everyone was like exactly. buying houses yeah. left, right, and center, yeah. and defaulting under payments. Okay. Actually, one here for the Irish listeners, um, the tracker mortgage scandal, which is infamous and famous. The reason they're called tracker mortgages is that they are directly tied to the interest rate set by the ECB. Whereas ECB being the European Central Bank? European Central Bank, yeah, exactly. Cool. Whereas other kind of variable rate loans that, that are only available now, um, it's up to the bank itself if it wants to raise or lower it during the term of your mortgage, depending on what cost of their borrowing it is. Whereas with the tracker rate, they have to lower it. So when you got your tracker rate, it was 5% back in 2007. But mm. then because that, that was pretty much what the ECB lending rate was, let's say four, and there was 1% for the bank. When mm. the central bank lowered it down to 0.5, your tracker rate fell hugely. Right. And then the banks were shitty in Ireland and they ended up tricking people into switching out of that and going on to a more expensive expensive mortgage. And that's why we have an entire crisis. Man, okay. That, it's worth noting, is being investigated by the Irish Central Bank because they're ah. in charge of regulating the banks and they're trying to figure out who did what, why, and who can be blamed and punished. Who, who to be put into a cannon and shot into space. Hopefully, but the doubtfully. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, going back to the whole interest rate thing and how they try to increase and decrease the cost of money to slow and quick in the economy. There's a really good metaphor about this because it's really, really tough to try and figure out how an economy is going and what's the right thing to do to try and steer it in the right direction. Yeah. Because economies are so big, so complicated, it's it's really fucking difficult. So yeah. it's like driving a car along a road made entirely of really steep hills <laughs> and the car's brake and accelerators have a delayed response time of varying between one second and three. Oh my God. And not only that, you're only allowed to reverse the car <laughs> in the rear view mirror. Oh my God. And that doesn't matter because you're blindfolded anyway. <laughs> <laughs> and also the, the car is on fire and you're on fire. <laughs> and your mom's on fire. <laughs> and you know your mom's on fire. And the, road's, and the road is like that rainbow road for Mario Kart. <laughs> exactly. And Bowser's coming up to shove you off. So it, it, that, that's, it's really difficult. They get it wrong quite a lot <laughs> right? And, but the thing is is that because the economy as we said is so complicated made up of so many different components and factors it is really hard to actually specifically blame or acclaim any one of those particular factors including the central bank's interest rates for why an economy grows or shrinks right so even if one particular economist professor will say the reason we had that recession back in Dickety two, the onion, the onion scare was yeah. because of the central bank's lending rates. Another economist with just as understandable an argument will say, no, 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 no. It entirely has to do with the trading regulations of the Great Onion Nation of Quam. <laughs> so that's why. But at the same time, there have been quite a few times when the central bank has put its hand up and said, "Yeah, we caused that recession." Saws. Yeah. <laughs> well, a particular one was in the nineties with a, a dude called Ben Bernanke. He was in charge of the Fed, and they were trying to tweak the interest rate in a certain way to. Have help the economy, but then ended up hurting it. And they just said, yeah, sorry. 
That Our bad. Us. That was us. Sorry, sorry, sorry for all the pain and hardship and death and destruction. Sorry. Won't happen again. Uh, yeah, so we said before, they try to stop crises, but usually what they're trying to do is invent laws to retroactively fix fix a crisis that has already happened. Right. And they're never on top of what's going to cause the next crisis. No, because they're just looking at what they have and what's come before. Exactly. And trying to do fixings based on that versus yeah. what's going to come. You know, that's just the way things are. It's really hard to that's guess. That's the way linear time works. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, but at the moment, most of the, after the 2008 crisis, most central banks in the world got a shit ton of powers. It's like they, they were the marshal at one badge that was like, let's say, two inch in diameter. But all of a sudden, now their badge is coming off their chest and weighing them down. They've got like <laughs> so much power. They've got a huge posse behind them. They've, they've got super duper powers. And if you're of the right wing per- libertarian economics persuasion, you don't like that because you don't like the idea of too much lots regulation. Yeah, lots of regulation, lots of red tape to jump through. Yeah. And if you're of the left-wing persuasion, you're probably still not going to be happy because it's not going to stop whatever the next crisis is because the system is ultimately designed to just constantly create crises. Right. So, yeah, um, we mentioned already... No one's happy. Of course no one's happy. It's politics. Have you not learned that yet? (laughs) I do, but every so often I hope there's going to be one like, ah, but this time, and you'll have a twinkle in your eye. (laughs) No, that's not central banks. (laughs) Um, speaking of, as I said before, back in the 90s, most of them were made independent from direct government influence. So mm-hmm. they can give it like an overarching directive. So the ECB, the European Central Bank, is told to try and keep inflation stable, right. which is a vague term, but it means not too low, not too high. So Just, inflation will still happen. Yeah, well, inflation has but, to happen because deflation is bad. You're right. Okay. But the normal inflation is like what? Two? One, two, three, four, five. What number? Between two and four and a half is usually okay. And once this starts, that's healthy growth. Well, inflation is not growth. Inflation oh. is the devaluation of money. Oh, okay. Oh, you don't know what inflation? I thought you did because you no. talked about the comic book. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. Very briefly, inflation essentially is how much the cost of things increase over a certain year. Right. And there's all sorts of different ways of measuring it, but the general is like a a country will be designated whatever its inflation is last year. It's dangerous because um, wages may not increase in line with that. And so the cost of living can actually get more difficult as time goes on, which is kind of something that's been happening over the last couple of decades, especially. Okay. So in my head, inflation was also tied up with like cost of living. So it was just like the the natural. Well, there's no such thing as natural in economics. It's all human made and it's all influenced constantly by government policies. Right. So... At the moment, wages have been pretty stagnant for the last couple of decades for the middle classes, but the cost of living has been rising and rising and rising. Up and like depending on which aspect of the cost of living you're looking at, it's up and down. Like electronics are getting cheaper, but heating oil is getting and food is getting more expensive. So right. obviously, those really important things you need to live, it's 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 becoming more difficult. Right. And the central banks are kind of told to try and keep that in check, to stop things going wonky and crazy. Because a couple of times in history, and at the moment in a couple of places in the world, like Venezuela and Zimbabwe, they have hyperinflation, which is the price of bread is millions. (laughs) And not only that, but by the time you sit down to order your meal, by the time you finish your meal, it is really, it is more expensive because the, the, the value of your money has decreased in the time it took for them to prepare your meal. Wow. Yeah, that has happened before. It happened in Germany in the in the 20s and 30s during the Weimar times. Um, and that scared the shit out of the Germans so much that they are obsessed with inflation. And right. They, they try and influence the central bank towards that, whereas other countries may not necessarily have that same concern. Okay. Because the Germans are a lot bigger, they get more of a say. So how, how do they go about regulating uh, inflation? 
Um, it has to do with the money supply again. So the idea of interest rates has got a big part of it. So if they increase the cost of spending, you should see less money being pumped into the economy, which should make things not increase as fast in price. Right. Because, okay. because people aren't wanting to buy as much of it. The costs won't go up as quick. Does that make sense? Yes. Yes. In a roundabout way. <laughs> this is where we're getting into the whole finance thing and it being really complicated to understand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we, per- we shall persevere. We shall persevere. One of the things that they did that was really tricky. So one of the things that central banks can actually do is just print money. They can just invent money out of nowhere. That's bad though, right? Sometimes, yes. Sometimes, no. So okay. the reason that that thing happened in Germany in the 20s and 30s was the government was just printing money to try and pay its debts. And people were like, but this isn't backed by anything. It's just made up money. Yeah, well, it's just it's just paper. <laughs> it's just paper. And that's why hyperinflation e- exploded and right. the, the country essentially stopped and they had to reset. Um, is it because it's, it's, it's throwing off the balance of the economy? If the economy is this big, complicated balancing it's, act. It's not even, because usually it's done, that's already happened when the government is trying to overprint money, the economy is already fucked. Right. What they're trying to do is they're trying to compensate for their lack of ability to influence it, but it has to do with trust, which is most of what economics is and the value of money especially. Mm-hmm. People don't trust the actual value of the money to count for what it's supposed to count for. Right. So, like... People know that a, a gallon of milk is going to cost X amount, mm-hmm. but that's only because people all have this agreed understanding of what that money is worth in the first place. Right. And whenever the hyperinflation happens, people are like, but you're the, the, they're just printing it. They're just making it up. Why should I trust it? It's just bullshit. Right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because m- money is just something, is just a material that we have assigned value to. Exactly. So yeah. it only works to a certain extent. And whenever they start overprinting money and pumping too much into the economy, it's almost like the illusion is stopped and people are just like, oh my God, it's all made up. And we start to freak out <laughs> and then the country starts to collapse. That's kind of what hyperinflation is. It's almost like an awake, it's like the matrix has been re- revealed to everybody and they're like, oh no, <laughs> <laughs> this entire capitalist financial system of governance and democracy that we've set up is bollocks. There's <laughs> a guy opening their wallet going, this is just paper. <laughs> and someone's this like, is oh, paper? oh my God, there's only paper in my wallet too. And Someone's look, I can like, rip it up. <laughs> someone's like, oh my God, look on my phone. This, These are just numbers. They don't mean anything. <laughs> That's basically what, what like hyperinflation and, and a sudden bank run and economic crisis is. And it's happening at the moment in places like Venezuela where entire trust in the government and the, the, the stability of their country is gone. And wow. basically you may as well barter with physical goods as opposed to the, the interchangeable thing of money. Wow. But for some reason... In 2008, the central banks were able to invent money and it didn't cause people to freak out. Really? It might be because they didn't call it printing money, which is like <laughs> such an easy thing to understand. It's yeah, like yeah. a big printing press with dollars just shooting out of it. They <laughs> called it quantitative easing. Mm. And it essentially had to do with going into the Bank of Steve's account in the central bank and adding a couple of zeros onto the balance book. And saying, right. oh no, the Bank of Steve doesn't have 10 billion, it has 10 trillion. Oh, okay. So just like intangible changes yep, that basically. just settled people's minds. For some reason, it just worked. And well, to say that it worked, it, it, it worked in the financial system. It stopped the financial system from imploding. So the banks all of a sudden had more money to, to play with. They didn't have to freak out. People didn't assume that whenever you walked up to try and withdraw money from your ATM, it wasn't going to send you any because right. the bank was gone. It They were like, okay, the system is stable. We trust it. Okay. I can still get my mortgage. I can still exactly. carry I'll, on. Whenever I'll get my wages, I can get it out of the bank and pay my bills and stuff like that. 
Okay. So that worked. And to say that the banks didn't collapse, and they also hoped that it would end up being like a, a knock-on effect, mm-hmm. that the banks would continue to lend and the economy wouldn't stagnate. Right. But that didn't happen. The banks actually just kept the money for themselves after a couple of years switched back to making super profits and bonuses for themselves. And the people on essentially what you want to use as the metaphor of Main Street, they suffered. Yeah. Because okay. the, the, banks, the money wasn't reaching them. The money wasn't reaching them. It was only going as far as the actual financial institutions. So in that sense, quantitative easing could be called a failure. Right. So it's still a controversial thing. People still don't really understand exactly how it worked because, as we say, most of these things are essentially just magic tricks. Yeah. But... Yeah, it's it's something to keep an eye on. And I think because it's still going on, the European yeah, Central yeah, Bank yeah. is still doing it. I think the Bank of England and the US kind of wound it up and the Europeans kind of started it after them. So they're still they're still doing it. But in places like Italy and stuff, it's essentially what's keeping their their financial institutions still running. Yeah. So it's a stopgap. Yeah. But it'll it's, it remains to be seen and how unhealthy it could be. The question is, could they have done something better to have helped out, you know, workers as opposed to bankers? Right. Yeah. Even though people who work for banks count as workers. This is where we get into the whole thing. I'm not very I'm not a very good revolutionary. <laughs> I always end up seeing both sides. <laughs> yeah. I mean seeing both sides is always important to everything, but yeah. Yeah, we'll we'll talk about that later. Let's just briefly talk about three particular central banks that are important and that I know a bit about, so can talk about. Um, yeah, you- shut up. But before you do, I'm bored, right? <laughs> this is this is a lot of heady stuff, and I'm a millennial and I have a very short attention span. So I want to very briefly listen to a thirty second ad from one of the fine podcasts on our network. David Kidd, hello. How are you? It was a bit dramatic, the post, maybe, and part of you goes, oh, shit, now. You feel like you have to leave now. Well, there's that, (laughs) and there's me, and then it's like your mates texting you going, geez, what's going on? Like, can can we go for going away points and all this kind of stuff? (laughs) Hello, my name is Dave Hanratty, and there will be no encore, your weekly music smackdown every Friday on the Headstuff Podcast Network. Yeah, so check those guys out if you're want some cool music recommendations. Yeah, they sound really, really good. Yeah, they were, they're actually, uh, when we did our Electric Picnic show, they were on before us. Yeah. And uh, we, we stuck around to, to listen to them. And uh, those guys actually know fucking shitloads about music. They know so much about music. They There's, know way I more started, about- I started listening to Dua Lipa after... Uh, sitting down and watching them because they completely be so completely sold me on their album. I trusted and, them uh, so much that I actually realised that Muse is just a, a, a really silly opera with light and guitar riffs. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I like all my whole life I was like, yeah, I, like I'm the guy who really loves Muse, and, and then, then listening to them actually analyse Muse and what they've become, <laughs> it's like, oh my god, they're complete caricatures. <laughs> so go listen to them. Yeah, exactly. So you were saying you were going to explain uh, three of the main central banks. Before I do that. And the listeners don't necessarily need to know this, but you're probably going to keep it in anyway. I'm going to stop here and go for a pee. Bye. I have returned. You're nice and empty? Yep. All empty. Let's do it. Do what? Three favorite your your three favorite central banks. <laughs> What's your top central bank? I ripped those off entirely from BuzzFeed's top five central <laughs> banks article from last week. I hope no one notices. <laughs> Which one of these central banks are you? <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're very sporty and witty. You're the you're the Federal Reserve. Oh, you're all dour and bookish. You're the Swiss central bank. You are. <laughs> What's your favorite color? Red. Aha, sweetest Hunter Mike, I got you. 
<laughs> You'll never believe number seven. <laughs> <laughs> oh Christ! Uh, uh, yeah, okay. so the th- three three of uh, the most important, shall we say, central banks. No, that's not true. But three of the ones that I know how to talk about because they're in my news streams more than others. <laughs> Great, important to you then. <laughs> important to me. Bank of England, first of all, mm. one of the first central banks dating back to the 17th century. Mm-hmm. Um, it prints the money for England and Wales, but confusingly, not Northern Ireland and Scotland. Where are they getting their money from? other banks that are designated being allowed to print it. And have you ever had that problem where you're in London with some Northern Irish or Scottish currency and they won't accept it? No, never. You've never heard of this? Uh, No. Oh my God. It is so infuriating. It's a common problem. It is insane. Like, I mean, I quite often because I drive through the North and end up with sterling currency that isn't in the Bank of England notes, you, you show it to someone from England and they're like, this is basically made up. This is Monopoly money, mate. I'm not taking that. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Tally her. What's all this? Say? And I got one guy, like, I was trying to give him 20 quid for a t-shirt. It says C60. And he goes, no, mate, it's not an Irish. Wrong country, innit? In it. <laughs> that's, that sparked my, whatever, latent nationalism I had in me. And I was like, this is the same country as it is for me. Patricia just like um, gave him an English 20 and bought the t-shirt and I went away fuming but yeah okay so they print out the money for the Bank of England notes which have the Queen's face and other people's faces and like Winston Churchill on the fiver but you will notice that if you ha- you can get Northern Irish and Scottish ones that are made by like Clydesdale Bank or Bank of Ireland or mm. Ulster Bank or whatever it is um, but they are in charge of regulating all the banks in the UK they mm-hmm. set the interest rate for the cost of borrowing sterling for the banks and they have kept pretty separate from the EU up until the whole Brexit thing. So they they don't have to restructure themselves in that sense because they're kind of in separate anyway. So so, so the, the ECB, they, they can't just like force themselves on the country's central banks. Like they can't mandate exactly what these uh, country specific central banks banks have to do they can but only if the country uses the euro oh okay so that's okay. where yeah, yeah so we'll get we'll get to the ecb in a bit but basically the uk stayed away from the euro and so wasn't caught in the remit of the ecb they basically kept the independence of the central bank okay um a lot of people criticize the central bank for being too mainstream and too institutional so for example if you're a brexiteer and you're looking at them numbers that you were talking about about mm-hmm. how this the Bank of England says that Brexit will be bad for the economy. You're going to go, mm-hmm. oh, establishment. But I yeah. mean, it's the fucking central bank. How much more yeah. establishment can you get? <laughs> like, what do you expect? It's like the OG establishment. It's like, how, like, if you're looking for radical, you know, change worthy statistics, don't look at the central bank. <laughs> Oh, anyways, yeah. I mean, it's fine. It's fi- it's fine. I, I I don't mind when people like left wingers and communists and socialists criticize central banks because obviously that's against their worldview. But when yeah. you, you're a prick who owns a hedge fund and you're criticizing the central bank for being too established, fuck right off. <laughs> yes, I prefer those indie central banks. Yes, exactly. <laughs> anyways, uh, we'll park the central bank, the Bank of England. There, um, mm-hmm. the Federal Reserve is the American central bank. Yeah. America has a long, complicated and controversial history with, with central banks. So they actually had one way back in the way. And if you are an admirer of the musical Hamilton, you may know Absolutely. that. So you will know that Hamilton set up the very first bank, central bank that America has. It was after the War of Independence. He wanted to 
bind all the different states together under one federal thingy. But mm-hmm. Jefferson and his cronies didn't like it. And they rapped better than Hamilton. <laughs> so whenever Hamilton died and after John Adams's presidency, they kind of let the central bank slide for a while. Mm-hmm. But then when James Madison, who was Jefferson's stooge in the play and in real life, mm-hmm. ended up fighting the War of 1812 against the Brits, he seen that central banks were kind of useful. So he pumped it back up again. Right. And then it lasted until the 1830s when this dude called Andrew Jackson became president. And he said, fuck central banks. They're too much of a federal control. The country's better off without them. He just got rid of it. And then they didn't have one until 1907 when the Fed was created. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was pretty pretty long time. And now it is a really, really federal style bank. So they have, although there is one central federal bank, it's pretty much made up of 12 kind of regional banks Mm -hmm. that come together to govern. The chairperson of the central of the federal bank is appointed by the president, kind of like another cabinet position. But or like a Supreme Court judge. Like a Supreme Court judge, yeah. And they can be I'm pretty sure that they have to be approved by the Senate, just like all those other federal appointments. Mm-hmm. But they try to design the system to be nonpartisan and not in sync with the actual presidential cycle. But Donald Trump, being the prick that he is, stopped that and demanded the previous um, chairperson's uh, resignation, Janet Yellen, who was an Obama appointee, and he replaced her with Jerome Powell, who is more Republican-y. And he's and he, d- he can, well, obviously he can do it because he did, but that's, like, is that just an executive order he issued that gave him the power to do that? Like, how did that work? I th- he basically just asked for her resignation and every, anyone who works for the federal government works at the pleasure of the president. That's basically, right. I don't okay. know if it's necessarily law, but it's certainly... Yeah. I mean, con- if the most convention. powerful person in the world in your country tells you to do something, that's, you know, that's a strong motivator. Yeah, but in other places it doesn't work. So Poland's having a bit of trouble because they tried to fire the Supreme Court justice and she said no and kept on going to work. <laughs> so they're, they're having a whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, we're, we're not talking about Poland uh, no. judiciary. We're talking about the, the Federal Bank. The As I said, the Federal Reserve isn't in charge of printing money. That's still with the Treasury. So they set the interest rates and it is the most important interest rate in the world. The, the price of borrowing the dollar is... Pretty much is how the entire world economy functions. It's mm-hmm. kind of it's kind of locked to that. So whenever they decide to up it or down it, the entire the entire world watches, and entire market economies change based on what decision those twelve people make. Wow, which is very pretty, powerful institution. Pretty, like some people would say that the chairperson of the Fed could even be more powerful than the president. Yeah, but, in terms of f- affecting a global economy, that's pretty yeah, damn powerful. I I don't agree, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> like, you don't agree with the sentiment that they're more powerful than the president? No, because the president's more powerful. Like, number one, uh, there is more to to go- power than economics. The president can mm. launch nuclear missiles. And number two... <laughs> and they're pretty powerful. <laughs> so I understand. And number two, yeah. the president is in charge. He can demand the resignation of the Fed chief. So yeah. anyway. Um, and then the last one we're going to talk about is the European Central Bank. So you touched on this earlier on when you asked about does the European Central Bank just kind of lord it over all European countries? Mm. Only if they're in the euro. So right. this is part of the multi-tiered Europe that we have now where I can't remember how many, but definitely not all 28 members of the EU signed up to the euro, probably something like 14. Mm-hmm. Their central banks turned into like regional districts of the ECB when that happened. So it's kind of like what with the federal bank, the governor of the Irish central bank is in charge of regulations and stuff in Ireland, but he has no power to set interest rates. He has only one vote on the ECB table. Right. And all the other heads of the of the central banks of Europe come together and make a like a group decision as to how much it costs to borrow the euro from the ECB. So it's a central bank for the central bank. Exactly. 
And yeah. it is probably the second most powerful central bank in the world after the Fed. Mm-hmm. I said before how Germany thinks that inflation is super important and that's why most of the focus on monetary policy for them has to do with inflation. But other countries are like, hey, monetary policy can be used to stop us being as poor. So why don't mm-hmm. we use it for that? And the Germans are like, no, 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 too much of risk inflation, can't do that. So there's a bit of a tension between how the different countries think that the the mechanisms of the central banks would be used. But the biggest problem that the ECB has, do you remember when we came back to the start about how government policy with money kind of is like a yin and yang, there's fiscal policy and monetary policy? Yeah. The ECB, the European Union has a monetary federal system with the ECB, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't have a federal fiscal policy system. Each country is still entirely in charge of its own taxation and spending. Right. So there's a huge disconnect between those two. And some people from the very start of the euro have been saying, you can't have an imaginary federal fiscal policy and have an actual fiscal monetary policy without huge disaster happening. And that's right. Because you only have one tool at your disposal. Exactly. And the entire. So you're, you are less qualified to solve potential problems. Some people blame the Greek economic crisis for being a manifestation of this. So the Greeks were able to run their own fiscal policy as they wished while borrowing at the European rates of lending and they were able to hyperinflate their economy based on whatever they wanted to. And then when the whole recession came, they were fucked. And it it nearly took down the euro. They basically yeah. said, is it worth continuing down the road of moving towards a harmonization in the federal system or should we just cut and run? And mm. most of the economists who think that this thing can't work while having independent countries pooling together the resources, you basically have to have a system like America where states are almost like provinces as opposed to independent nations. Right. For it to work properly. And some people are still saying the euro is a house of cards waiting to fall as opposed to an actual currency that's still working. Oh, wow. I remember back in the financial crisis that people were talking about how the euro could collapse. Mm -hmm. And they were actually saying that let's just cut Greece out of it and like print something on Greek euro notes and suddenly make them drachma again. What? And then if the entire entire European euro was to collapse, you would just like print... The, the eagle on German notes and they would be marks and you would print the stag on your euros and they would be punts and we would just go back to that for a while until we all went back to using our own currencies. Like wow. That's how flimsy the euro is in some people's eyes. <laughs> Personally, I think it has shown that it has the legs and we're more likely to move into some kind of a, a new version of federalism that isn't exactly like the United States of Europe, like the Americans put themselves together. Mm-hmm. But... Is it's not quite what we have right now. Not, no, yeah, it'll be more integration than we have right now and like a, a system right. that suits the Europeans who are a lot more different than Virginians were to uh, people from Massachusetts. Yeah, of course. So yeah, Jesus, man, that's central banks. Whew. Man, I, I don't know about you, but I am sweaty. Yeah. Uh, from, all, oh, yeah. from all that learning. A final point. Um, I did not mention conspiracy theories once because I fucking hate them. And <laughs> yeah. sometimes when you get into a pub talk with political people about uh, central banks, people will go on and on about how they're all controlled by the Rothschilds and they're all like a Zionist, Illuminati. Illuminati Zionist conspiracy. I will point out right now that you need to check yourself before you wreck yourself because that's some fucking anti-Semitic shit. And you're just, <laughs> yeah, if you're talking that shite, it's, you have to realize that if you're talking about the idea of bankers who are Jewish or taking over the world, it's it's stupid. And people just say <laughs> it offhand. It's like, it's like, they just say it without realizing, dude, that's so racist. That's really horrible. <laughs> that's so anti-Semitic. It's like, you can't just say those shit. Yeah. And then, yeah. but actually like when I was researching this, I put central banks into YouTube and I got three useful videos in the first page of results, all the 
the rest were Rothschild conspiracies. Really? So yeah, I'm not just saying this just as like a, a caveat at the end in case you met meet one another. Yeah. So many people just automatically assume that the central banks are part of a worldwide global conspiracy Illuminati cabal. Right. They're not. <laughs> yeah, they're just controlled by aliens. All right. So Leave it at that. much simpler. It ha- it's Team Rocket. <laughs> it's Team Rocket. I'm telling you, that's where that series is going. Uh, but see, well done on on this particular episode because this was a complicated thing. And like I said, the start I knew nothing about it. And how do you feel and now? <laughs> I know slightly more than nothing about it. <laughs> that's no, all did a great I job. want. This is, that's all you I took want. A, took a very heady complicated concept and, and made it super lovely and understandable so thank you you're welcome and you are welcome listeners out there whoever you are <laughs> is that it is that us should we wrap it up yeah let's wrap it up let's wrap it up yeah this was this was a long enough one uh yeah thank you so much for listening we said like we said at the start podcasts uh live and breathe by word of mouth and reviews so if you do have the time leave us a lovely little review on itunes that would be great and even more important than that tell tell a friend if you have a friend who you think could stand to learn a little bit about this stuff or is like me before this show and wasn't able to learn about this stuff unless it was delivered in this irreverent jovial manner then put them onto it they might they might like it yeah not only that but also remember if you forget things to talk about at the christmas party talk about what on politics yeah exactly i'm sticking sticking (laughs) with that metaphor it's the time of the year okay exactly exactly that's great uh what else thank you supermarket love for the theme music remember if you want to get your hands on that bonus episode go buy us a beer at whatampolitics.com forward slash beer we are whatampolitics on instagram oh uh (laughs) actually remember the michael d higgins tea cozy you got me as a birthday present at our last live show do i every day i regret giving that to you and not keeping it for myself he is sitting at the top of our christmas tree in place of an angel (gasps) so Oh yeah. my god, that's adorable. And yes. Richie, your Christmas tree is up now? Yeah, well we put it up last night for the toy show. Oh for fuck's sakes, Richie. <laughs> we had a we were down a little no. a little toy show party it's and we December wanted to decorate. December the eighth. It has to be December the eighth. You can't do it before or else you're one of them crazy Christmas decorations people. I'm sorry. I, I get to go into my sitting room and I see Michael D. Higgins smiling down from the top of a Christmas tree and I have no regrets about that. But you're gonna to have to so, look at that for four weeks. You're gonna hate it by the end, I'm telling you. Yeah, I probably will. I probably will. <laughs> You're going to burn that tree on the 1st of December, 1st of January. It's, it's plastic, so it'll just slowly melt in the corner. <laughs> Michael the Davis fumes fill the room. The thumbs up in Terminator. <laughs> uh, but if you want to see a picture of Michael D. Higgins on the top of our Christmas tree, then go to uh, Politics on Instagram and give us, give us an old follow. And Twitter as well. Is that it? I think that's it. I think that's it. Uh, I, I almost don't want to tell you this, but I have to, I'm going to a, a Christmas fair now, so... <sighs> Look, um, I, I like Christmas, but I like it at Christmas time, mm-hmm. and I don't think. Well, it's December the first, but still, no. Yeah, exactly. It's December first. After December the eighth, I'm still begrudgingly grinchy. But when it comes to like the week before Christmas and stuff, I get into the spirit, you know. <laughs> Barely. I watch a Muppets Christmas Carol every Christmas, and I love it. Oh, yeah, it's a good movie. It fucking is. Uh, no Pokemon movie though, as a great poet once said. <laughs> I want to be the very best, like no one ever was. It's a great song. I was doing like jazz poet beatnik kind of clicky thing. Yeah. Spoken word version of the Pokemon theme song. <laughs> Except like by, by what's his name? The guy from William Star- Shatner. William Shatner. <laughs> I want to be the very best that no one ever was. He got you. Oh, gross. <laughs> All right. See you there, Steve. Bye, Richie. This has been a production of the Headstuff Podcast Network.